Amen. Romans chapter 12. You may be seated. Romans 12, 3 to 13. For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of themselves more highly than they ought to think, but to think soberly, as the Lord has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For us, we have many members in one body, but all members do not have the same function. So we, being many, are in one body in Christ and individually members as one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. For or ministry, let us minister, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exalts in exaltation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, and distributing to the needs of the saints given to hospitality. Amen. And last week, we started looking, we introduced this subject, serving the Lord with diligence, and we zeroed in on verse number 11. Let's read verse 11 again together. Ready, go. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Let's say it again. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Hallelujah. Now, Paul wrote this letter to the saints in Rome. And he said to them that, listen, we are different members. We come from different nations. We have different backgrounds. We are all not the same, but we are in one body. Just as the body are different members with different parts, when one part does not function well, the whole body doesn't function well. Isn't that true? And so we need each other. And let no one think of themselves higher than others. But let everybody serve in humility. Whatever grace God has given you, use it to serve. If it is prophecy, serve, you know, in humility, in your the, uh, purpose according to your faith. If it is given, whatever it is, Use it moderately according to your grace, according to your faith. And then he goes on to say that when it comes to diligence, let us not slack. See, I'm not slacking in diligence. Hallelujah. But fervent in spirit. Why am I zeroing in on this particular uh, scripture? I am zeroing in on this particular scripture because for the Christian in the latter days, that we are in, we rely more on the grace of God than anything. Because God 
by his grace, has saved us and has brought us in. Then by his own grace, he should do everything for us. Am I making sense? Because it was his grace that saved us. So if he can use his grace to save a wretch like me, then he should be able to use his grace to make a wretch like me prosperous. Am I making sense? But I don't need to do much. And so last week, we started looking at this scripture, and I said to you that there's a difference between a volunteer and a, an employee or a slave. Are you with me? And I said to you that a volunteer is somebody who has a certain mindset, which is different from somebody who is con- a contract worker. Am I making sense? When you are volunteering, you pick and choose what you will do and what you will not do. If you say you cannot do it, nobody will force you. Because after all, you are only helping. Am I making sense? But when you are contracted and you are being paid, then you don't have that argument. Whatever it is, whether you are feeling like doing it or not, it's, it's not in question. You have to do it. Am I making sense? But you see, the Christian today, we think more like volunteers than servants of God. For us, we think that the pastors and the leaders are supposed to serve. So that's it. They are the ones who are servants. The rest of us, we are volunteers. When we feel like it, we'll do it. After all, they are the ones that God is paying them to be here. Hallelujah. Am I making sense? But Paul is saying that, listen, don't think like a volunteer in the house of God. Think as a slave. Because we read in Matthew 11, this is in 28, that he, Jesus himself speaking said, that, Come unto me, all you labor, that labor and are heavy laden. And I, Jesus, will give you rest. Then he said to us, that take upon you my yoke. Verse 29 says, that take upon you my yoke. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Which means that it is, salvation is not free. Am I making sense? Salvation is not free. He says that when you come, come with your heavy load. And exchange it for my yoke. Which means that when he comes and he takes your yoke, your load from you, he gives you a yoke. You are never free. Am I making sense? This is Jesus. If, if the Bible you are using, the proper Bible, you see that this particular scripture is in red. Are you with me? He says that, take upon you my yoke. Then he describes his yoke. He says that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So what I'm giving you to do is a very light thing to do. In, in, any, in any case, the job that God gives us to do is very easy. The job that the world and Satan gives us to do is very, very hard. Can I prove, can I prove this to you? In, in Genesis 1, Genesis 2, in fact, in Genesis 2, when God was giving Adam his job description, all God said to Adam was that, give names to every creature. Simple. 
When you see a big animal with a long nose with two trunks, call it an elephant. And you see a reptile with four legs that has a very crooked, um, very, very scaly back and has a very long, uh, call it crocodile. If you see an animal that flies with two wings, call it a bird, give it a name. That is all. When Adam sinned and God came to curse Adam, uh, to give Adam his punishment, he said, I curse be the ground for your sake. Because of the sin that you have sinned, I am going to curse the ground. So that out of the sweat of your brow, you shall eat. So you see, hard work, hard work and hard labor is not a blessing. <laughs> I'm not making this. Yeah, so you see, the blessing of the labor that God gives us, like Jesus was saying, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The blessing that you have in serving me is to, is to do it, you do it in ease. The work of the ministry is easy to do when you are doing it the way the Lord wants you to do it. I'm not making sense. But you have to do it anyway. And you have to work like you work for the boss. Hallelujah. You have to work as if you are working for the Lord. So he said to the, the slaves, or he said to the people who work for masters outside, he said that whatever you are doing, do it like you are doing it for God. For it is God who rewards. So when you are even working for a boss, work like you are working for God. Are you with me? In the same way, when you are working for the Lord, you must work like you are working for a boss. For most of us, when we go to work, we work very hard. When we come to the house of God, we don't work. Only one person say amen. How many understand what I'm saying? It's like in the house of God, the least effort possible is what is required. So we don't want to be stressed. We don't want sweat in the house of God. Anything that brings a little bit of stress, a little bit of sweat, we criticize. And we begin to say, what is all this? Hallelujah. It is only in the house of God that you see that a little bit of effort is, is frowned upon. But when you go to the work for the boss, even when they haven't asked you to do a certain job, you want to do it. Because the more you impress, the more you are promoted. Hallelujah. Am I making sense? So I, 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 want, I want us to understand that the real place where our energy must go is in the house of God. Because the scripture says that you shall know that the Lord is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I've been, I've been around for a while. I've been around for a while. 
and I can tell you this by my experience, that those that serve God diligently, somehow God blesses them. Somehow. They have the same stress as everybody. They have the same opportunity and everything as everybody. But somehow, in the long run, all things work for the good of them that love the Lord and them that are the called according to his purpose. He makes things good and he makes things work for them. Am I making sense? Those that serve God in a certain lackadaisical way, God also blesses them in a lackadaisical way. And it makes them, it goes, it goes to confirm that God doesn't bless. But I read somewhere in the Bible that to the forward, I, the Lord, will show myself forward. The ones who want to do the least for the Lord, the ones who don't want to work, the ones who don't always want to find, you know, are dodgy towards the Lord. He says that I, the Lord, I'll also be dodgy towards you. But the one who is upright, I will show myself faithful. Amen. Oh, am I talking to somebody? So he's saying that do not lack in spirit. Don't lack. Don't, don't lack in diligence. Use, use your heart and mind and, and passion and soul to serve the Lord. Be diligent in your service. Not so that men will see and praise you. Because when men see and praise you, you have received your reward already. But when you do it for God, he who sees in secrets rewards openly. Hallelujah. So I said something last week that anyone, if all you do is what the pastor sees, then you are not doing much. That means you are an eye servant. If all you do in the house of God is what you are doing for pastors to see, then you are not doing anything. Because the real work is done on the blind side of the pastor or any leader for that matter. That is where the real work of the ministry is. Hallelujah. I'm just giving you the benefit of my experience in the house of the Lord. Is that okay? I have seen, I've seen people come and people go. I've seen the Lord replace people who are gifted and talented but are slacking in the, in the work of the Lord. I've seen the Lord replace them with less gifted people and yet more effective people. I don't know if you understand the English. You see somebody who's a very gifted singer. But when they come, they want everybody to know that they are the they are the talented artists that have to be treated like you know they are the star, and you know they want to be red carpet. Treatment, powder poured on them before they do anything. I've seen them come. And somehow God has removed them. And the ones who are less gifted, 
but diligent and faithful. God used them, uses them, and makes them effective, more effective than the talented people. So as a pastor, I've come, I don't really respect a lot of people with a lot of talents. I'm giving, I'm telling you, this is between you and us, you and me. Nobody is here to hear. Yes, yes, you and I. I'd rather somebody who is not very, very gifted, but faithful and diligent than a talented person who I cannot trust. Personally, because I've seen God uses those people more than the ones who are gifted. Amen. So I want all of us in this room, all of us listening, that in terms of serving God, serve him with all your heart. Serve him with all your might. Serve him with all your soul. David was a king. He had been led by God all the years. When he came into, the, into his kingdom and became the ruler, and he built his house. He was in on his bed, asleep. But he was thinking about the house of God. Hallelujah. Most of us, as soon as we leave the door of the church, we forget about the church. It's only when we are coming back on the way, as we enter the doors, that is when we remember the church. That's how come when we give announcement, you forget. Because as soon as you walk through those doors, you forget everything about the church. You never think about the church. But David, who was a king, who had a lot of stress on him. He had a lot of uh, issues. He had a lot of uh, uh, targets that he had to meet as a king. A lot of different political, you know, business that he had to deal with. But on his bed, he was thinking about the house of God. And he said, that, how come that I am the king? I'm living in a nice paneled house, a nice beautiful house. And the house of God is in a tent, in a dirty tent somewhere. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to gather my resources and I'm going to build God a very fine house. So in the morning, he calls the, the prophet and tells the prophet that this is my plan. How many of us will sleep, dream, come up with a plan that will better the church and then call the pastor in the morning? Pastor, I want you to come and see me. The pastor, I have a plan. And like any other pastor, Prophet Nathan says, do all that is in your heart. If it's going to improve the house of the Lord, why not? Please. Let's do it. Hallelujah. Beautiful. Anything you want to do for the house of the Lord. But as soon as he walked out, the Lord spoke to the prophet and said to the prophet, no, no, no. This guy has too much blood on his hands. So I don't want him to be the one to build. So he went back and told the king that, listen, God says that you must not be the one to build. He says, fine, if I'm not going to be the one to build, let my money build the house. If I will not build, it's okay. But by all means, I have to be part of the building of the house of God. Whether physically or financially, I have to be part of the ones who build the house of the Lord. 
Hey, in our day today, if the Lord says that you shall not, oh, that's, that's okay, it's okay. God bless you. I, mean, I, I, I didn't want to remove money already. So if he said I shouldn't build, then it's, it's cool. <laughs> it was just a thought. <laughs> when David was about to die, he called all the people, gathered all the people and said to them, by my own hands, I have gathered proper gold, proper wood and money. I've done the wooden panels, the plasterboards and everything that you need for the building. I have already secured them. But God says, I shouldn't be the one to build. So the money is ready. The uh, equipment, raw materials are ready. Resources, everything is ready. When I'm out, make sure that you build the house of the Lord. When the people heard David say that, then they said, if the king is given to build the house of the Lord, then it means there's a certain blessing in helping to build the house of the Lord. And every smart person knew that I have to add my money to it. So all of them started putting their money, their gold and everything. Everybody removed their money and put in, in, in building the house of the Lord. And they built a magnificent building for the Lord. When Solomon was dedicating a temple, the presence of the Lord came so much that the priest could not minister. And the presence of the Lord descended and the Lord said to Solomon that whatever you want, name it, I'll do it. Why? Because you have built the house of the Lord. How many know that Solomon's money was not in it? <laughs> his money was not. The resources were there. The raw materials were there. The people had already, his father plus the people had produced all the money needed. But he added his passion. He added his support. He added his might. He added everything. So when the thing, when the building was built, he let, you can't lead the, the procession if you haven't contributed in building. So even though he, his father contributed the money and the raw materials and the people, but he was the king that put it together. And the Lord said that anything you want, just say it. Even if you want the heads of your enemies, I'll give it to you. And he says, I don't need anything, I'm okay. I'm only a little child. All I need is wisdom in knowing how to lead these people. And God said that because you have not asked for the lives of your enemies, you didn't ask for yourself gold, you didn't ask for yourself silver, I will give you all that you want, the wisdom you say you want, I'll give it to you. But apart from the wisdom that you want, I'll also add wealth, riches, and honor. So that you'll be honorable amongst all men. You'll be richer than all men. And you'll be wise. See, the problem that Solomon had was that, and this time, this thing, I, I saw it in the Bible one day, that when Solomon asked for wisdom, he asked for wisdom to, in serving the, the people, in going in and out of the people. He didn't ask for wisdom to maneuver where women are concerned. And that is why he, he, he couldn't, the woman took his, his heart from God. 
His wisdom didn't go further than serving the people. <laughs> you need, if you ask for all-round wisdom, maybe. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yeah, but I'm trying to make you see something. That after Solomon, after uh, Jeroboam, Rehoboam, and all those people came, and they sinned against the Lord, and the Lord wanted to destroy them. Every time he says that, but for your father David, because I promised your father that because he wanted to build me a house, I will also build him a house. Hallelujah. I can tell you that one of the greatest gifts anybody can give to themselves is to serve God and serve in the house of the Lord from personal experience. Hallelujah. I'm talking from personal experience. And not just serving the house of love, but serving with a certain diligence. Amen. And not only that, Paul goes on to say that fervent in spirit. Sometimes we are diligent when it comes to serving in the house of the Lord, working in the house of the Lord. But our spirit is not fervent. When it comes to spiritual matters, we are not very strong. Amen. But Paul is saying that fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope. Amen. Oh, I said amen. amen. Look at Romans 12, verse 11. Romans 12, they are not lagging in spirit, in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Now, the word fervent in that scripture is translated to mean the boil, to boil. So, when it says fervent in spirit, it means that boiling in the spirit. Remember in uh, Revelation 3, he said that, you are lukewarm. I would rather you were hot or cold. But now you are lukewarm, so I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. Amen. So what he wants is for us to boil in the spirit. Amen. Fervent in spirit, to boil. Amen. That is to have a zeal Burning with a desire to see the will of God done on earth. Amen. To boil means that to have a certain zeal, a certain fervency in prayer and to see the will of God done. Some of us, we, some people boil in prayer. But prayer is not spirit alone. Prayer alone is not spirit. Are you with me? Prayer is good. But apart from prayer, there's, there are other things that makes you spiritual. The word, the will of God being done on earth. Amen. The will of God being done on earth. Boiling in spiritual things. Boiling in spiritual things. I, I am praying, I am praying for a church that will be so zealous, 
spiritually that the presence of God will become evident in the house of God. As soon as you enter the house of God, you feel a certain power. Uh, are, you, are you getting it? That, that, that spirit or that, when, I talk about, when we talk about revival, that is the thing that is lost in the house of God. You know, when I was growing up as a, a Christian, almost every member of the church had their own personal prayer revival time. It was, it was common to see that, oh, Brother X has gone for a retreat by himself for maybe two days. Brother Y has gone to the gardens. It is Tuesday. There's no church service. Monday and Tuesday, there's no church service. Monday, Tuesday, when you're looking for Brother Y, he's not around. Where is he? He's gone into the mountains to pray. Brother why is always in the street evangelizing? Brother B prays about three hours before church starts. And sometimes we had, we had a certain group called the engine room. That's one, one team that I'm praying that one of these days we'll have in this church. The engine room people, they come to pray like two hours before church starts. And during the service, you don't see them. They are not in the church service. They are hiding in a room somewhere, praying throughout the service. They are called the engine room because they are the ones that are controlling the atmosphere in the church. I'm talking about fervents in spirit. Epaphras, who labors night and day in prayer, greets you. Remember that guy? Paul was talking about Epaphras. Epaphras was somebody who, he doesn't do anything. When he comes, all he does is to pray. He prays night and day for the house of God. So that the presence of God, when you sit on the chair, if you are sick, you'll be healed. If there's any thing inside of you that is not of God, it just comes out immediately. Amen. Then it goes on. Seven, okay, move on. Not lagging in spirit, fervent, fervent in spirit, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. Amen. Serve the Lord out of diligence. Amen. Serving the Lord in diligence. Now, let me quickly, let me finish. I want to finish. My time is up. With three things. Three things that I want us to do quickly. Amen. Just three things that I want us to look at. If we are going to serve the Lord. Number one, we need to make sure that we keep building the house of God. If you are going to serve with this diligence and fervence that we are talking about, we need to keep building the house of God. What do I mean by building the house of God? Remember that in Matthew 18, 20, it says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am, isn't it? With them. And in Matthew 16, 18, it says that upon this rock, I will build my church. Amen. 
And in the, the last chapter in the Bible, Revelation 22, Jesus speaking in verse, eight, uh, verse 16 says that he addresses the church. Look at that scripture for me. He says that, I, Jesus, this is Jesus talking. Can you see it? He says that this is his final address. He says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the what? Oh, in the what? He says, I have sent these things to you in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. See, a lot of people believe that the church is not as important. When you are in your house, God is in you. So you can be in your house and still serve the Lord. But you will see that Jesus is specific to say that the ecclesia, the church, is where he sends his word. It is where he sends his, his power. It is where we change the affairs of this world. For the earth, heaven cannot do anything in the earth except the people on earth command heaven to do so. And God is looking at the church to do that. Am I making sense? God is looking at us. So when we fail to be diligent, when we fail to, to ask for the will of God to be done on the earth, then we are neglecting our duty. Amen. Sometimes the church, we only pray for the church. We don't pray for the land we live in. We don't pray for the kings. We don't pray for the government. We don't realize that God is looking at us to affect the nation. Amen. So he said to uh, Timothy that pray for them that have the rule over you so you can have a peace, live a, a, a peaceable life. Isn't it? Isn't that what it says? Pray for them that have rule over you. Pray that the will of God will be done on the earth. Because when he wants to address the people on earth, he comes to the house of God. That is how come every, every governmental authority wants to close the church. Have you not realized? Recently, recently, this was like um, last week. Last week, something happened. COVID, the new variant of COVID has become so bad in South Africa that the president of South Africa, Sir Ramaphosa, made a broadcast that all the churches should close. Just last week. All the churches should close because as far as he was concerned, the church was the main spreader of the new variant of COVID. Because, you see, the churches were lobbying the government, saying that, listen, what is going on? We need more prayer in the land. So as the, the church were lobbying the government, the government started yielding. So before, no church should have more than 100 people gather. In spite of if you are 20,000, 30,000 congregation, only 100 people are allowed to meet. So that in a room, you are only allowed 100. So some of the churches had like 100 in the main hall, then 100 in the in the little rooms here and there, just so that they can have more people. 
Then after a while, they started pushing the government to allow more and more so that more people can pray. But then there were other people who were speaking against it. That no, the church is where the, the, the what do you call it, the, the spread, the main super spreader. So he announced, that was just last week, the church should close. As soon as the church closed, the route started. Now the route that is going on, they, they are not calling super spreader, it's mega spreader. See, we, when the, the, in this country, same thing, when the um, COVID really, like last year, the first, they, they were lobbying, lobbying that they should close the church. Allow the pubs to be open, but close the church. Close the place of prayer. It took the Archbishop of Canterbury the, and all those people to lobby for the church to be open. So they said, okay, open the church, but nobody should sing. Pharaoh, let them go, but let them go not too far. So let them not praise God. Let them just go and sit and have quiet word of prayer in their heart, but nobody should sing. The church said, okay, no worries. I can tell you for a fact that with the opening of the church and the prayer that has gone on in the land, God somehow saved us. Hallelujah. And I'm saying this to tell us that, listen, the church has a great role to play in the land. And you and I, we have a great role to play in gathering more people into the house of God to make the church strong and powerful. When the church is a certain size, it's not strong and it's not powerful. That's how come the, can, the government can throw us and come, come through. No, no church you meet. See, the, the footballers, the sports people, because they are a lot when they gather. So they're like, we want the stadiums open. Okay, open. Yes, we have, have 20,000 people. No, we want everybody to be allowed into the chair. Into the seat. Okay, come. Last week when the England played the final, it was full capacity. And look at how they were shouting. Even when they lost, look at how they were fighting and shouting. And if it was the church, the next day they just closed the church down. Hallelujah. Are you understand what I'm saying? I'm saying this to tell us that, listen, the house of God, when Jesus wants to address, you see, when he says, I, Jesus, this is the final word in the scripture. Anywhere you hear Jesus or God talking is very important. But the final time Jesus spoke in the Bible, he uses his own name. He says, I, Jesus, have set an angel to testify to you these things. To the churches. I haven't spoken to the kings. I haven't spoken to the governors. I haven't spoken to the military people. I've spoken to who? The church. Because the church is the representation of God on the earth. I'm saying this to tell us that, listen, when we are serving God, we shouldn't slack because we are representing God on the earth. 
Am I making sense to anybody? So let's learn to be passionate in gathering people. Be passionate in making the church strong. We all can do the same thing. So those who can sing, be passionate in gathering 200 people as the choir. When the choir has 200 people, it means the church is strong. Isn't that true? Those who lead prayer, gather more people. Let's have a strong prayer force. Those who are going into the angel room, gather a lot of people to go into the angel as a strong prayer force in there. Are you with me? Those who are doing whatever they are doing, be strong, make it become large and effective because we are changing something on the earth. Has the revival started? Or oh, I said, has the revival started? Yeah. When we talk about revival, this is what we are talking about. To strengthen the spot that Jesus looks through when he wants to look at the earth. We want to strengthen this place. So I don't want the choir people to be negligent. Oh, it's okay. Just two people can go and sing. It's all right. Yes. Do, we, we are tired. Listen, we only do, we'll, after all, we know old songs. We sing old songs. Let everybody go home. No, no, no. That's lagging in fervency. Oh, we are okay. Okay, let's learn two songs. Don't pray. Let's go and we'll be all right. No. Hallelujah. So, as for today, I'm feeling very tired. As a pastor, okay, so um, you know what? I think today I don't, let's have an early night. Let's do two, two minutes scripture. And okay, everybody, you are blessed. Let's go home. Hallelujah. Am I talking to somebody? Because sometimes we feel tired. Sometimes a pastor feels very tired. Hallelujah. But be fervent. Not lagging in spirit. Number two. Let's keep growing in the faith. Let's keep growing. Let's, the church must grow. Hallelujah. And you see, we grow with the last man or the least person. As the least one amongst us is growing, the church is growing. In 1 Corinthians 3, 1 and 1 to 3, it says, Brethren, I could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as carnal and as babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not solid food. For until now, you were not able to receive. And even now, you are still not able. For you are still carnal. For where there is envy, strife, divisions among you, are you not carnal, behaving like mere men? This is what Paul was saying. He called the church a carnal church because there were divisions, contentions, there are little groupings. This group doesn't like this group. That this group doesn't like this group. You see, when you go to a church, and people are very particular. We are the uh, Africans. We are the West Africans in the, in the church. We are the Caribbeans. We are the Zimbabweans. We are the uh, Congolese. We are the French-speaking. We are the this. We are the that. It's a carnal church. You understand? It's a carnal church. We identifying each other, isms and schisms and divisions, little groupings. So that these people don't like these people. This group doesn't like this group. This group is everybody suspicious of each other. 
No, not in this church. I say not in this church. We don't see where you come from. We don't speak Greek or Hebrew. We speak CICC. How many know that CICC we have our language? You just have to be here for a little while. You'll get to know our language that we speak. We speak our language and we understand it because that's our culture. Pastor Samuel says somebody called and asked that, are there Zimbabweans in the church? <laughs> he, the person wanted to come to the church for the first time and he was calling the, uh, the flyer, says that, are there Zimbabweans? Because if they are not Zimbabwe, I'm not coming. Look at the mind that somebody is coming with. <laughs> and the pastor said, Oh, there are Zimbabwean pastors in the church. <laughs> Come there. Is there a black church? Is there a white church? Very soon we have white pastors here. Yeah. Because me, I don't believe in you come from this country or come from that country. Because me, I don't really belong to any country. Because when I, come, when I go to where I come from, they call me a foreigner. <laughs> because I've lived more years outside the country than inside the country. Hallelujah. Am I talking to somebody? So I pray that we'll have that. Number three, keep showing love. Let's remove that. You see, love covers the isms and schisms. You understand what I'm saying? When we love each other like brothers and sisters, we cover. You wouldn't see uh, myself and you see uh, Sasha and think that we are not from the same country. We come from the same place. This is our, our home. This is where we come from. The love of God binds us together. Are, are you with me? So it's not where the country of birth anymore, but it's the unity in the body of Christ. Jesus has purchased us with the blood. So the blood that's flowing through us is the blood of Christ. Amen. And last one, enduring in trials. Let's be fervent even through trials. In James chapter 2, 1, 2 and 3, it says that consider it pure joy when you fall into diverse kinds of temptations or trials, knowing that the trying of your faith worketh what? Patience. And when patience has had its perfect work in you, it makes you perfect. James 1, 2 and 3. It makes you perfect, wanting nothing. Hallelujah. I said James chapter 1, 2, and 3, not James chapter 2. Hallelujah. Am I talking to somebody? So I pray that we'll be fervent and diligent. How many will be diligent in the service of God? Stand to your